Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member CRE Entrepreneur shares his path from undergrad to working as a brokerage analyst. He covers his shift over to the portfolio management side of the business, why he enjoys real estate, how much his pay has gone up since he graduated four years ago, and what's in store for him next. Also, listen to hear what he's investing in now and who he feels is a good fit for real estate finance careers. Enjoy. All right, CRE Entrepreneur, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a little background about uh, where you come from. Sure. So I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, I live near the Philadelphia area, just outside the city. And uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from location-wise. And then, yeah, just a little bit of summary of your experience. Sure. So out of undergrad, I uh, knew that I wanted to work in real estate, real estate finance. I'd had some experiences during undergrad working as property manager and subcontractor to be involved in real estate and quickly realized that that was two parts of real estate I did not want to be involved in, wanted to be more involved in the real estate finance side. From there, I was in a uh, kind of a secondary market, uh, not a lot of developers uh, in my area that would necessitate hiring a a full-time analyst. Mm -hmm. So... There were really only two in my uh, county where I lived. One did hotels, one did self-storage. I knew the guy with hotels growing up, uh, but he wasn't hiring. He wasn't looking out to bring on an analyst. Mm -hmm. But the self-storage guy was. So from there, uh, that's how I got into the niche of self-storage. Specifically, that company was a development and brokerage company and uh, worked for them for a few years. Tell me if you have any questions. I know I'm. Yeah, so I cut you off there a little bit. Yeah. Real quick, you said you knew what the first part wasn't for you. So when you were an undergrad, you were kind of doing. Tell me about that type of work and kind of how you even fell into thinking real estate might be something you like. Yeah. So uh, my undergrad experience was unique. I started college when I was 15, uh, and that's super early. uh, Four (laughs) years. What's that? That's super early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of a unique opportunity I had. Um, and obviously some other things went by the wayside, didn't get to do high school sports like I would have liked to and did college instead. But, uh, from there, um, 
growing up in kind of a one of the benefits that I had of growing up in kind of a relatively smaller community is that I was a little more uh I guess there are more job opportunities where I could get into roles that I really had no business in being in. I mean, as a property manager, uh I was eighteen years old when I became a property manager for about six months and it was kind of almost uh sort of an internship and um but at the same time, on my first day as property manager, my boss walked in and dropped a file on my desk with five people to file evictions on. So it was a very hands-on um, experience uh, where I was dealing with all the things a property manager would for a, a pretty large mixed-use development. And from there, I quickly came to realize, you know, I d- what I, I don't want to do with my life is file evictions on people, handle utility bills. Mm-hmm. Make sure people have their rent in by the fifth of the month. Those were things that are really, really important. Um, but I found myself more attracted to uh, the development side, the acquisition side, the brokerage side of real estate. So when you were in your undergrad and you had that, you know, say six month internship, how did you even know the, about the other side of real estate? Was it just through talking with friends? Was it networking? Like, when did you say, oh, you know, because it's very different to be doing, you know, working with a developer versus, you know, being an analyst necessarily for like a larger real estate company. Do you know what I mean? So when did you think, yeah. it, was there, was there a path or was there a mentor? Was there somebody kind of that guided you early on? That's a good question. So I have always had a uh, interest in the built environment and in kind of the process of creating communities. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, I didn't have anybody that I knew growing up who was really involved in the real estate development process and, and kind of explained it to me. So I kind of, you know, seg- my, segued my way into it with those kind of uh, ancillary jobs in, in construction and property management. Mm-hmm. And the people that I was working with in these smaller companies, I was working directly with the owners of these companies. So I was seeing them kind of uh, put together a vision for the properties that they were working with, you know, very creative Mm -hmm. uh, renovations and reuses of properties. I was seeing them put together a vision, bring together a team and make it happen. And from there, I I looked at that and he said, that's more of the role that I want to have. So more like the leadership role in a small, small firm where you're, you know, not, not the one collecting, you know, rent checks, like you said, or dealing with utility bills, but the one who's maybe um, leading a team of people kind of developing these, these developing real estate rather than yeah. working in it. Got it. Yeah. And I've heard it, I've heard a developer, um, compared to a conductor where mm-hmm. there's a lot of people doing a smaller part of the process and, and the developer brings them together and, uh, makes sure the timelines all work together harmoniously. And that's something that I really aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, where that that role made more sense for me. Do you feel like going to college so early? You know, you started it when you were fifteen. I assume you graduated around when you were nineteen. Did you mm-hmm. did you feel that you didn't quite have the time for the internships and the exploration that you would have liked, or do you feel like it was nice to kind of get working earlier, like getting into the full yeah? It was time? actually a little, yeah. It was a little bit of both. Um, <clears throat> had I gone a more traditional route, I think I really would have. Uh, enjoyed doing 
formal internships and um, or enjoyed college life. Maybe interning. <laughs> you weren't even of drinking. You weren't even of drinking age when you were when you graduated college. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's um, nuts. So I yeah yeah I also would have probably enjoyed having a college experience. I mean I had right. definitely some of that after getting out of college, but right. Um, definitely not living on campus or just off campus. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that I would have enjoyed, but at the same time, I'm, you know, a couple years ahead of where I would have been otherwise. Fair enough. Okay, so you're you're kind of coming up toward graduation. Tell me about the recruiting process. Like, so what do you, did you have a job lined up after your junior summer? Was it like, you know, were you unemployed for a little while after after graduating? What was the process of kind of coming up toward graduation? So, in tertiary markets. Um, like the one I was in, even in secondary markets, um, I think the process for um, finding a job as an analyst is very, very different than it would be in a primary or gateway market. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that there is no recruiting process for small development companies. A lot of development companies <clears throat> in real estate have a um, pretty small number of people within their office. Uh, so there might not even be a full-time HR person dedicated to the function of, you know, finding new analysts or associates or uh, employees. So Mm -hmm. from there, the way I found my particular role was unique in that, maybe unique, maybe not that unique, in that I looked around for development companies in the area, narrowed it down to ones that would be large enough to actually, you know, hire uh, an analyst, you know, if somebody's just uh, developing an apartment building or two a year and working from their den in their house, mm-hmm. they're not going to hire an analyst. Right. Uh, so it had to be, they had to have some scale. Um, and then from there, you know, I reached out to them directly, uh, walked into their offices, you know, cold called essentially, and said, this is who I am. I don't know if you're hiring for this role, but if you want to grow your company, here's how I can help you. And what did you say? Like, what do you mean, here's how I can help you? You had a specific plan outlined or something? Yeah, so analysts in real estate take care, a lot of, take care of a lot of the headaches that principals and higher-level employees uh, don't want to handle. So, you know, it can be ultimately stuff as simple as um, data entry type functions for real estate or... Mm-hmm data collection for market analysis. And that's something where I, you know, a lot of real estate, a lot of smaller real estate companies, development companies, they might not necessarily be thinking about how can I, you know, offload this to someone else. But if the opportunity presents itself, that's something that is usually pretty attractive to them. As long as you're cheap enough, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely part of it. But then I mean, you can also consider that uh, depending on what their business model is, the fees that they can charge. Right. Um, so, so it sounds like usually, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you basically there was no real recruiting process. So w- when did you just start interviewing as you were approaching graduation at a few places? You were cold calling. You were. When did you have your job and, yeah. and how did that work? Yeah. So so I did um, I did interview as I was getting. Um, Approaching my uh, graduation, I mean, I probably started looking uh, four to six months before graduating, uh, started looking in earnest. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and narrowed it down and uh, started talking and interviewing. And I had a job lined up probably about two months before I graduated. Great. And then can you tell me about how big that firm was and what your role was there? I know it was is more of a broker. You were more of a brokerage analyst or a broker analyst. Can you explain what yeah. that, that is versus the other stuff? Like what is what is a so, brokerage analyst? Uh, that company was a, a self-storage brokerage and development company. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not an uncommon model for real estate because uh, brokerage fees are subject to very high tax rates, essentially treated as income tax. Okay. Development is very tax favored. So it makes sense for a broker who might have really high levels of market knowledge to um, kind of protect some of that money to some of those brokerage commissions by rolling them into development. Got it. So the company that I worked for um, had, uh, so, so the role that I had essentially was supporting a brokerage team of five brokers as a sole analyst, mm-hmm. ranking together models, uh, market analysis. Uh, and offering memorandums. This is mostly for, for commercial, their com- mostly for commercial yeah. real estate. What's that? This is for commercial real estate or properties that were yeah, like either yeah, specifically for self storage. Got it. Okay, um, so stuff that was up for sale also, or stuff up for sale or stuff that that was this company actually like breaking ground and doing the full development from like from buying the land and stuff like that all the way up through yeah. to sale or. So the, so the brokerage team was for sales, and we did both um, existing properties and uh, land that was permitted for self-storage development. Got it. Okay. And then, um, I, I, yeah, I also ended up doing some asset management work as well for the uh, for the ownership side of the company. So tell me how those two differ. Like, what are you doing on the brokerage side day-to-day versus what are you doing on the asset management side? So brokerage side, you're cranking through uh, tons of... Uh, properties and tons of markets uh-huh. and that's pretty interesting because you get to see how um, hundreds of different operators run their properties um, and you kind of get a feel for what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. and you also get a feel for what markets are doing well and which aren't from their asset management you're working with the same you know 15 30 properties whatever it is you're working with the same properties uh, every month tracking metrics trying to tweak the performance of their operations on the properties to uh, help them perform better. And those and, those are the ones that are yeah. owned principally by the firm? Is that how you should think of it? Sorry, like, what was that? Those are, the, those are the properties that are actually owned by the firm themselves? So like they're exactly. in the portfolio. Okay, so they're in the portfolio. They've either been developed or they've been purchased. They've been developed in-house yep. or they've been purchased because of the deal seen as attractive at the time it's like you're dealing with the port- portfolio of, of assets so you're trying to figure out like looking at price looking at competitor i mean what what type of stuff are you looking at when you're trying to help these these units do better yeah so asset management kind of works in tandem with property management yep. property management um you have somebody at an hq working with uh, on-site property managers and uh, handling a lot of functions like bookkeeping, uh, HR, auditing, those kinds of things. Yeah. Making sure the properties are running smoothly. But from there, um, asset management kind of helps property management see the forest instead of just the individual trees. Okay. And what I mean by that is that asset management kind of uh, pulls the lens out and says, you know, here's the performance six months ago compared to um, last week. 
in property management, I would be looking week to week or month to month and looking for longer term trends, looking for um, capital improvements that need to be made to properties, looking mm-hmm. for any risk in the market that might be coming up or new opportunities that property management just might just miss out on. And so is this something you were trained on at, on the job or is it something like you had kind of done training, self-study for? How did you prepare for this? Or was it something you just learned on the job through like watching the more senior brokers and the senior asset managers kind of do stuff? So a lot of it was learned on the job. I had mm-hmm. um, some pretty basic uh, training through college for the financial analysis side of things. Yep. But real estate ends up being so specific into specific uh, categories of real estate and how they're operated in different markets that a lot of it ends up being on the job anyways. Right. Cool. And then, so you're there for a couple of years. Did you feel like this is a place you could build long-term? What, what prompted the change? And then let's talk a little bit about like what, where you are, I guess now. Right. Um, And then what you, what you're doing and, Notice you're also getting a master's, so just the thought process behind that. Yeah, so the reason I made the change from student, ho- uh, sorry, from self storage to student housing, where mm-hmm. I currently am, uh, was just the opportunity to work with some bigger deals, kind of moving into um, some more complex transactions. Mm-hmm. In self storage, the typical transaction size for an existing property is around three and a half million dollars. Yep. Uh, ranging up to 15 to $20 million for a larger self-storage property. Okay. From there, on the student housing side, we wouldn't touch anything really below $20 million. Okay. And a lot of the assets we deal with are closer to $75 million is kind of a typical asset price. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also had the opportunity to work on some very large portfolios uh, ranging from half a billion dollars to $5.8 billion dollars. And in about two years, I've had the opportunity to work on about $20 billion worth of transactions. So, so it, it's been a big jump in terms of the complexity of projects that I've been working on the scale. So that's fair. So is this other this new firm, the one you're at currently, it, it just has a much larger portfolio mm-hmm. and a broader portfolio? Is that fair? Or is it, is it all student housing? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't clarify. The firm I work for uh, is primarily debt and equity placement company, Okay. as well as... Uh, sales, brokerage sales. Okay. So they do have some ownership, but their kind of bread and butter is a fee-based model where they're helping source funds for developers. Got it. So, uh, so it's still in their brokerage shop primarily, but they do have a portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So in terms of your balance, did you also start off kind of in the brokerage side um, there and then kind of start doing more of the, is that typical, like going from the brokerage side to then doing a little bit more of the asset management, the portfolio management? Or what's so different? I, so for the student housing side, I don't do a lot on asset management. Mm-hmm. I primarily do um, the debt and equity placement. Okay. Um, but that ends up, again, being uh, fairly, working on some fairly complex transactions um, where we're looking at, uh, so you're the broker. So you're trying. Are you? You're like running a process yeah. to try and get buyers. You know, buyers are you know, in place. Or for example, like so. So can you give me an example of like a typical deal? Like, who would bring you on, or how it would work? Yeah. So a typical deal might look something like this: a developer finds a site at a major university that they think would be great for student housing. Okay. They get it. 
uh, under contract, get approvals in place, and they have a million dollars into it, and they're running low on cash because they have several other pro- projects under contract. Mm-hmm. So they reach out to us and say, I have a million dollars in this deal. It's a $20 million deal. Uh, can you help us source the rest of the capital stack? Mm-hmm. From there, we might find them an equity partner with $4 million in a bank to loan $15 million on the property, and they would uh, they would build it. Then they would come back to us in two years after it's built and fully leased. And they would say, we built this asset. The investor partner that you brought us wants out of the deal, so we want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, willing to help us sell this asset for $30 million? We would uh, run through the sale process with them and get them out of the property. Got it. So so explain just in terms of where your firm would, would capture value there. I assume it's just lining up the equity and debt. Uh, you know, filling, yeah. helping them yep. fill out the rest of the, as a broker, helping them fill out the rest of the capital stacks that they can, you know, have the capital to complete the $20 million project. Right. Um, but what is, what are you taking in terms of like um, fees? It's almost like a, you can think of it as real estate investment banking, right. Where you're just taking a, a cut of the transaction or is it, it of the, of the money raised? Is that how you necessarily think of it? Yeah. So yeah, it is, it is like investment banking where it's, a small, you know, a couple bips off of each deal. Yep. Uh, depending on the size of the deal. And so that's for both debt and equity. You guys have kind of um, probably relationships with banks, so you know kind of who to bring in on what types of deals. And then same thing on the equity side. And then so tell me, is that is that something that sounds like it's the main main part of the business, right? For where you work right now, is that correct? Versus, yeah, versus yep, that's the... definitely the main part of the business. Okay. Um, and then from again, from there, there's tax benefits from being a developer, where a lot of that fee income gets rolled into development. Got it. And and that's where the assets come. Where you guys actually have some properties. Always, you're always holding onto something. Yeah, that's exactly right. Got it. And so, tell me a little bit about um, the skill set that you've developed. That's been different from the first place with the with the self storage you know, going to student housing, has it been very different or do you feel like a lot of the skills you learned at your first job were relevant? So student housing is definitely more complex and there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you start dealing with things like ground leases, um, retail leases. I mean, obviously in self-storage, you're not having retail leases. So student housing has that as a component. Um, a lot of uh, self-storage properties are purchased with uh, friends and family money, mm-hmm. while student housing is much more institutional. So we do a lot of joint venture modeling for our clients. Got it. And that's just not something that you would necessarily do with self-storage, but you get a lot of in student housing. Was there any training uh, so when you started there, this? Yeah. Or was there any training when you came in, or was it, again, kind of just learn by learn by trial <laughs> or learn by watching and on the job? So a lot of that stuff was kind of self-taught before I arrived there. Mm-hmm. Um there's some great online courses. REFM has a great course for real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, CCIM, I highly recommend the CCIM program and all of their courses. Tell me what they have the some C- really great courses. Tell me what that yeah. is. What's the CCIM? Yeah, so that's called the uh, Certified Commercial Investment Member. Mm-hmm. It's a um, nonprofit organization that uh, essentially is geared around teaching real estate professionals. Okay. And, um, yeah. And so it teaches you the modeling, the basics, the, the fun, the, the theory behind it and all that. 
It's like a yeah, so they dig into almost. the modeling, okay. the uh, the finance side, the market analysis side, um, those major components of real estate analysis. So what was the hardest part between jumping from the first position right at undergrad to the second one? Was there any like thing that stood out that surprised you besides the complexity of the deals? You know, I don't think there was anything that really um, surprised me. You know, mm-hmm. going into my first job out of undergrad, it was a pretty steep learning curve. Yep. Just, you know, not being super familiar with Excel or with some of the other programs um, that I use on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big learning curve. Going from um, self-storage to student housing, you're kind of fundamentally talking about some of the same things, the same metrics um, for analyzing investments. So from there, it's just, you know, a little bit of a more complicated model than I was working with before. Got it. So it seems like you've been doing really well. You know, you had a couple of years at your first place. You kind of went upstream, I'd say, to larger deals, more complex deals. I assume the pay has also bumped year over year or each year. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been very rewarding. Can you tell me like just rough ranges about what you were making kind of when you first came out to around where you are now? It doesn't have to be exact. And like how much is that distributed base versus bonus for people who yeah, might be curious? Yeah, so in, uh, initially as a analyst in a uh, tertiary market for a niche asset class and not having kind of the background that you would look for, I was thinking around 40K a year. Mm-hmm. And that is... Um, I'd assume it would be low right out of school. I, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't assume. Yeah, it's much more yeah. yeah. Okay. I definitely at the time I wasn't, you know, super happy about that. But <laughs> it's one of those things where in real estate, as with many other industries, you're kind of expected to put in some time before you start to get rewarded. Right. Um, from there, I've jumped to um, around 90k a year in my current position and. After my finish my master's program, probably going to be looking at associates positions where it'll be closer to 130. Um, again, in secondary markets, if I move somewhere like San Francisco, New York, or Chicago, yeah, probably would be paid more. So, tell me, um, is there a reason you're staying in the secondary or tertiary markets? Is there? Do you feel like it's just a better lifestyle, or what's the thought process behind that? I feel like it's a better lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, maybe better value for your money as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is just that being from Pennsylvania, kind of want to stay close to family and friends. Yep. Um, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, just as like a, like a touch point, I get a very nice, uh, one bed, one bath apartment here, uh, near Philly for 1250 a month. Right. So to get that same kind of apartment, um, in like a garden setting, uh, garden style apartment setting in say New York city, you know. I just you're looking at four thousand. A big difference there in terms of <laughs> yeah, you know your mileage. Here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you mentioned your your masters. Tell me a little bit about the thought. Pro- are you are you working full time while getting this masters, or have you taken a break? Yeah, and so tell I'm me about time while earning the masters. Yeah, and yeah. tell tell me a little bit about this this whole program, and is it common for people to to go back to to do a, a master's degree in real estate, and what does that even mean? Like, what are you learning there? Sure. So historically, um, master's programs for real estate professionals have been pretty limited. Mm-hmm. And so people have either gone back for an MBA or a master's in urban planning. Okay. Uh, but from there, there's been 
uh, growth in master's programs at pretty good schools over the last few years, uh, last, last two decades, let's call it. Okay. And uh, those schools include, um, well, without, get, without getting into that, the program that I'm attending is at Georgetown University. Mm-hmm. And um, they offer the program in person or online. And I looked at the numbers, decided to do it online. It's a two-year program, and I'm able to do it while keeping a job. That's great. And so are you doing it like at, at night? Is your schedule just kind of becoming more tight and more difficult? Or is it more self, is it paced? Like like you have to attend live classes or how does that even work? You know, it's not that bad. Typically with my day job, I'm working between 50 to 60 hours a week. Okay. And then on the classwork side for a master's program, I'm putting in another 10 to 20 hours a week. So it's not a workload that bothers me. It might yeah. be a bit much for some people, but it's obviously, you know, you talk to a lot of people in investment banking, that's not even, you know, that's a good week for them. <laughs> Did you, are you, does it ever scale up? I assume when you're near a deal, um, do you ever feel like you have to put in 60, 70 hour weeks at, at your firm or is it, is it pretty consistent, like 40 to 50, 50 to 60, you know, 55 in a bad week or 60 in a bad week? So it, it really depends on the week. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely been weeks where it's been 40 hours uh, in the morning, you know, work through whatever I'm working on and out at five. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a great week. Uh, last night I worked till 1030. So it just kind of depends on what projects are coming in and, mm-hmm. you know, how fast we have to get through them. What's the plan, you know, once you have this master's, do you, do you think maybe you're going to stay at the same firm? Is there growth potential there? Um, or is it something where um, having that master's degree now opens up a lot more doors? So the plan after I finish the master's degree, or even while I'm working on it, is to uh, get a position as an associate at either um, a development company or investment company for real estate, where I'd be on the development or acquisition side. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you know, already engaging in networking, uh, working group contacts that have developed in the last few years working in real estate and um, kind of looking for that next opportunity. So how would you suggest people prepare for like these types of interviews? You just have a passion for real estate. And obviously you've worked now in the industry for about four years. Um, so you have that knowledge, you have a little bit of that network. Have you been aggressive personally kind of building that network outside of the people you've worked with? Like have you been in, or in a specific region or have you kind of just let it come naturally? It's been a little bit of both. I mean, mm-hmm. the one thing that I've been very aggressive on is education and pouring money and time into education. I mean, I earned the CCM designation. I spent a lot of time on uh, some of the different online courses that are out there, like REFM, mm-hmm. and um, obviously working in the master's degree now. So I spent a lot of time and money on education. And from there, um, you develop some great networks through education. Mm-hmm. And w- when you're getting into that niche, um, industry-specific education, you you definitely develop some good contacts. From there, I found that, at least in my area, you know, generally speaking, real estate industry mixers are more or less a waste of time. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily spend a lot of time on those. Why do you think that? If anything. Why do you you say that? Yeah, I mean. Or what's been your experience that makes you say that? So for real estate mixers, 
there's you know there's a few people who might attend who are um, kind of at the top of the food pyramid in terms of they are high net worth individuals who own a significant amount of real estate and mm-hmm. might have a real estate firm. Yep. And those are kind of the people that everybody else wants to talk to. Um, <laughs> Fair. And from there, you have people like me who are you know, analysts and associates. You know, it's nice to talk to other analysts and associates, but it's you know not super helpful. Mm-hmm. And then you have industry vendors, people who offer ancillary services to real estate operators and owners. And yeah. it's not really helpful at all to talk talk to them it's even less helpful so (laughs) okay that's fair from there it's kind of it's one of those things where you know i found i get a lot more benefit out of asking one of those individuals one of those owners to just you know meet for coffee or something like that Mm -hmm. it's easier just to cold call them and ask to meet in person and has that worked? has that worked for you catch them at a mixer has that worked for you and you like doing this through linkedin how are you actually like reaching out to people yeah, so uh, do it through LinkedIn, um, and and kind of again, kind of sometimes it helps to maybe go to the mixer so that you you know meet them once, shake their hands, and then follow up with them on LinkedIn and say, hey, I met you last weekend at this mixer. Right. Uh, is there any chance I can meet you for a half hour by wherever you are and make it easy for them? And um, yeah. And then what's the purpose of those conversations just to build a relationship a little bit more so potentially down the road it could lead to a job or what's the, is it um, just building relationships? So every time I go, yeah, yeah, every time I go into one of those conversations, I try to have um, some talking points for something, some things to ask them that I can't easily Google. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, I don't want to ask them, what do you think of retail as an investment right now? You know, something like that that I can Google or that's too vague. Um, but if I can ask them something more specific about, hey, I looked on your website and I saw that you bought this specific asset and you turn it around in four, t- four years and you have your purchase price and your exit price and the exit price is way higher. Tell me what you did there. I'm just curious. Um, usually people who have been really successful in real estate really enjoy talking about it. So that is a pretty good learning experience in and of itself. So you're doing it really just to actually learn about the deals or you're doing it to build relationships or both? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that anybody getting into real estate kind of quickly realizes that there's some very, very, very large firms in real estate, and mm-hmm. then there are a whole lot of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And there's really two types of people in real estate finance, the kind of people who want to go work for the Blackstones of the world and the kind of people who want to eventually own real estate themselves. So, and Which one are you? Yeah, I'm definitely in the second camp. Got it. So if we think of, you know, when people say real estate investment banking, real estate private equity, that's nothing, that that never really interested you. You've always been more interested in working for developers kind of on the ground and and being an analyst. Yeah, I I really enjoy the finance aspect of it. I really enjoy digging into, um, digging into models and, you know, figuring out how to create complex models that show someone else what the results of a project are. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what I what is really rewarding is building places. You know, putting together projects where there's a piece of dirt or an old building that was underutilized, and finding a way to make it somewhere that people want to be. 
Mm -hmm. Very cool. And do you feel like, I guess your path now is, is in terms of like next steps, when you said you, you want to have an associate position, how should I think of that? Is it, is it similar type of analysis you'd be doing or you'd have analysts underneath you working or how still doing debt and equity placements? Is that what you're thinking? Just maybe at a larger, larger shop? Yeah, no. So yeah, what I'm, what I'm interested in doing is um, working more or less directly underneath the developer and helping them uh, source sites to develop hmm. or working under someone who buys existing properties and helping them find properties to buy um, and kind of searching. I mean, what I really enjoy about that kind of work is that you're combining market analysis mm -hmm. with financial analysis. Yeah, and those two things interact with each other so closely and affect each other so closely that it ends up being a bit of an art and a science. Do you feel like now that you've kind of worked in two distinct uh, niches, so you did the, the um, storage and then you did the student housing, do you feel like you could branch to another or do you feel like you're kind of limited and need to stay in, in one of those two? I definitely don't feel limited at this point, but mm -hmm. if anything, that would be due to the uh, work that I've done on the education side. I mean, the master's program with Georgetown is very focused on exposing you to different kinds of assets. Okay. Um, so I did a market analysis class at Georgetown and uh, learned how to do market analysis for office, resorts, slash hotels, multifamily, retail, oh, wow. uh, okay. and industrial properties. So that kind of gives me a broad base to work off of. Very cool. Do you feel like You'd obviously probably still learn a lot on the job if you did join one of those other types, but I th obviously it just gives you a base to feel confident in, in an interview. Is there a lot of interview prep through this master program or like they're prepping you for, for the job or is that kind of you're expected to go out on your own? Like is there a, on a sort of on-campus presence where firms are coming to interview or, or developers? Or like those, that, that mid-level that you'd be interested in? I don't think there is. Mm -hmm. um, I think in real estate... It's, as an industry, it's really up to you as an individual to find um, a career path kind of through networking, through cold calling, through uh, keeping in touch with people who might have opportunities. Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, do you feel like your current position will be there for as long as you want it? Or what's the, I guess, what's the, what, let's say you go through this master's program and you're not finding the position that you that's ideal or let's say we go through a recession um, and there's just less positions open and real estate takes a little bit of a dip is it something where you feel or like there's less transactions happening would you feel safe at your current place or would you feel like there's room for you to grow in case or are you confident I I, that you could kind of find yeah to, to kind of answer that i definitely feel um comfortable that they would you know even if there was a period where the fees they're bringing in weren't supporting um, their expenses, I mean, keep in mind their expense ratio is going to be pretty good for a, uh, for a brokerage team because you've got salaries, some office space, and travel expenses. So from there, I feel pretty confident that they would keep me on as long as I you know, needed to be on, as long as I was showing up to work and doing a good job. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious what happened because, to firms like this yeah. you know, back in the financial crisis. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, was it like a 
did everyone like either just tighten their belts and obviously no bonuses and, or, and keep most people or did people lose their jobs? You know, that's what I'm trying to get to is, is what's the, you know, is it really cyclical or at these smaller, these smaller shops, is it, is it a little more insulated, you know, um, just because they have their little niche and they're kind of, their assets are kind of chugging along and doing okay and insulated a little bit more. So it kind of depends on the individual company and it depends right. on the, um, the role that you're in. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're in asset management, you're probably safe. You're probably one of the last few jobs to go mm-hmm. uh, in terms of real estate because you're kind of performing pretty integral ongoing maintenance on properties um, in terms of you know, their financials and performance. Right. So that's, that's one of the last things you're going to cut as an owner. Right. On the other hand, if you're in development, you know, that might be one of the first things they cut. Because um, you're like, it's just, there's as not going to be As far as I know, yeah. what's that? There's just not going to be enough development going on or whatnot, let's say, in a, in a recession. Yeah, but it, but it's also one of those things where um, you think about the last recession, um, 2008, everything, you know, liquidity crunch, everything kind of locked up. And uh, there were definitely developers that lost their shirts. Mm-hmm. Um in that case, there were definitely a lot of developers that had to work through bank, work through with banks, um, some of their loans to, you know, keep them from getting foreclosed on. Yep. But from there, if you're in that position, you want to be well positioned to um, re-enter the market when there is liquidity and capital available again. Yep. And you know, at the same time, there's also very opportunistic uh, real estate uh, owners who buy a lot during recessions. I mean, probably the second most famous real estate personality is Sam Zell. And that's, you know, how he's made his legacy is, is buying during recessions. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Lots of opportunity if you have the capital to deploy, right? Um, at the right time. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else before we call it um, that you'd like to share with the younger listeners that may be thinking of a career in real estate? Yeah, I mean, it's a very rewarding career in terms of the kind of projects you get to work on are very interesting. Uh, I will say it's definitely, as you kind of alluded to, less of a um, less of an ultra secure, proven path kind of job <laughs> with an easy yeah. path and a clearly defined path. It's a, it's a very undefined path. But if you're if you have an entrepreneurial personality. Mm-hmm. Real estate is one of those industries that works really well with that type of personality. Got it. Fair enough. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I think uh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's interesting. My cousin's in doing a lot of real estate right now, investing, and it's perfect for him. Um, I think he's fo- found his calling. So um, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. Today. It was really, really interesting. And I, thanks for educating me as well. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Cool, man. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.